Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> and uh, let us read at verse 21 down to the end. Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, in this uh, chapter, as we've been seeing, Jesus has been dealing with the question of sin. Not putting a stumbling block of sin in the way of others, causing others to sin. Being careful that we guard our own hearts against sin. And dealing with when we're sinned against, or when somebody in the church, or somebody that we know sins, either against us or in general, that we take certain steps in seeking to reach that brother and to restore them, brother or sister. And we saw last week that Jesus uh, gave three steps that uh, one should confront the brother and, and on his sin, and if he uh, repents, then you've won your brother. If he doesn't, then you go and take two or three others. If he doesn't listen to them, go and take it to the church through the elders and then the wider body of the church and if that still is not enough to win him back, that that brother, that person, is not to be considered a brother anymore, but to be considered an unbeliever. That they are acting not like a Christian and not, not to be regarded as a Christian. So we saw that last week, but that sparks now in Peter's uh, mind a question about how often should we forgive someone? And that's a question that I'm sure we've all entertained at one time or another. 
if someone keeps coming back with the same old thing again and again, and they ask for forgiveness, ought we not to extend that forgiveness? And how often should we do to do that? Well, uh, some of the teachers of Jesus' day said that you only need to forgive someone uh, three times. Maybe some of us might not even reach that. Uh, we, we say, well, once, uh, once uh, burned once, twice shy. Uh, and uh, we, we often put limits on it. Well, that's what you said before. And you didn't do it, you didn't change, and therefore we often cut people off after one or two times. Uh, three is generous. And Peter, though, he goes on, he says here, how, Lord, how often... Uh, will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? Oh, again, Peter is being very, he, he's pushing the envelope here. Uh, he, he may be uh, influenced by what Jesus is saying about um, reaching out to others and showing the love of God to others. And so Peter is feeling a wee bit generous here, and he goes beyond the teaching of his day from three to seven. And uh, thinking, well, really, I'm really pushing the limits here. He's being generous. But Jesus says, uh, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. These were perfect numbers. Seven is a perfect number uh, in the Bible. And Jesus is not saying that we even limit it to 70 times seven. We get up to 490 and say, okay, you're cut off. That's all I'm required to do. Well, it's hard to imagine a scenario where you're uh, having to forgive someone the same thing 490 times, uh, but that's from our perspective. What Jesus is wanting to do here is to give a window into our relationship with God. And so 490 is just scratching the surface when it comes to certain sins in our lives that we have to go back to God with. And really, that's what Jesus is doing. He not only wants us to deal with one another on a kind of a horizontal level, uh, but also to deal with one another on a vertical level, to factor God into the equation in order that we might deal with one another uh, more effectively and more uh, generously, which would blow out of the water uh, the regular teaching of the day, even Peter's bit of generosity there, and take us to a whole other level. We've been seeing this not only in, a, in our personal lives, but in an international way. We see the rockets being exchanged back and forth between Palestine and Israel and between, between Gaza and Israel and so on, it, it, it's, those pictures now are uh, uh, seared on our minds if you watch the news, those uh, rockets being sent over and exploded by the Iron Dome and so on, and you see that the hatred that uh, uh, characterizes that conflict over the years. And it's true, it's almost cliche now to say but it's only the gospel that will fix these situations. It will, it's only the gospel that will heal those prejudices and hatred that people have one toward another.
And that's part of our goal. That's part of our uh, uh, task is to pray for gospel work in these areas. Praying for rabbis and imams and praying for Christian schools like Bethlehem uh, uh, Bible College and other uh, groups in there in, in, in uh, Gaza and in Jerusalem and so on, praying for missionaries, praying for the gospel to work as leaven throughout that, those societies. And, and so um, you have this um, question on Peter's part and then the response by Jesus. And you can imagine when Jesus said it, it would have no doubt taken people's breath away. If the rabbis were saying only three times, and yes, Peter pushes the envelope a little bit to seven times, then to hear Jesus say 70 times seven, that would have been uh, mind-blowing to people. How does a person operate at that level? And let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. Look honestly at your own experience, how you have handled things uh, in your life, handled things in your home, handled things with your neighbors. Uh, how have you, when asked to forgive or dealing with those bitternesses, how have you worked through that? Where do you find yourself today? And you too will be saying, how do I operate at that level? That's not humanly possible to continually forgive someone on that level, on that basis. And you might then begin to categorize them. Okay, I can deal with small little irritations. But what about the big ticket items? What about murder? What about adultery? What about stealing? What about somebody does something to my family? Something to, uh, that, uh, uh, to the people that I love? What do I do at that level? Does God still require forgiveness from my heart at that level if the person is truly repentant? That's, I think it's important for us to, to look at it from that angle that forgiveness is only possible with repentance in the other person. Have, people often ask that question, can you forgive someone who has not acknowledged they're wrong? Well, technically, no. You can't forgive them. You can, you can try to live without letting that eat you up. You can try to deal with them uh, as best you can. But you can't give something to them that they're not asking for. And so, if they acknowledge their sin, if you repent, then forgiveness must be forthcoming. You can only then forgive someone if there is an acknowledgement of sin on their part. If there is not, then you must find a way to not let that eat you up, to deal with that problem, that situation. But we, it's important for us to keep our categories straight. It's important for us to keep these words straight because forgiveness implies repentance or turning from sin on the other side, from the other person. 
Uh, but if there is that, then the Bible says, okay, if there's repentance, let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about the glory of forgiveness. Let's talk about the necessity uh, to forgive. All of these things. It, when there is repentance, when there is sorrow for sin, then that opens wide for us the doors of this discussion on forgiveness. So, how do we do that? Jesus begins with this parable, this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, notice, he's, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, not the way things are done in this earth. We're talking about how God operates, how things operate within the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, this, this, is, this was often used, this kind of language, this kind of storytelling in, in rabbinic literature, the idea of a king and his servants and calling to account. And the, and the disciples wouldn't have been a stranger to that kind of language. And so Jesus uses what people knew in the day. The king, of course, representing God. The servants representing us. And the calling to account representing the, the day of judgment. When we will all stand and give an account of our lives. All things, the, all the books open before God, called to account. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, how do we reckon with that kind of money? 10,000 talents, just to put it in perspective, would be the equivalent. Now, there's some discussion on, uh, on the modern equivalent, but most take that as billions of dollars in modern uh, 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 equivalency. Billions of dollars. Now, again, this is a parable. How that man came to owe him billions of dollars is, is a, another uh, question altogether. We don't go beyond the bounds of what Jesus is saying. Neither does it tell us of how that king came to possess billions of dollars. But Jesus is simply telling it as a parable. And the language of Jesus is exaggerated language. It's hyperbole to make a point. Now, it's hyperbole on the one hand. Like I said, it's hard to imagine how a servant could owe that kind of money. And Jesus puts this astronomical figure on what the person owed. But what Jesus is getting at is definitely not hyperbole, because the debt is intentionally large and out of this world to describe the debt that you and I owe to God. And that's not hyperbole. That the debt of our sin the debt that we owe to God for services that we have not rendered to God, the glory we have not given to Him, the sins that we have committed, the iniquities in our lives. 
result in this great and awesome death. As the psalmist says, my sins rise up before me like mountains. And so it's astronomical. And the problem with sin, of course, is sin deceives us into thinking our sins are a lot uh, uh, more innocent than they really are. But God holds us to account for every thought and every word, every word we will have to give an account for on the Day of Judgment. Isn't that amazing? Think about all the words you said in anger. Think about all the lies you've told. Think about how you've maybe slandered other people's names without any kind of justification. And that's just with what you say. <laughs> that's just what this little tongue has done over your lifetime. Not to mention the feelings that you've harbored in your heart or the things that you've thought in your mind. Not to mention all the other uh, commandments that God has commanded. And so over time, you know, the, the, the psalmist in Psalm 25 even looks back in, on his youth and he's so pained over the things that he's done as a child that he's overwhelmed. My sins and faults of youth, Lord, do not remember. You see, that's just when he was a kid. He was overwhelmed with the things that he did. How much more as he goes through life do those debts build up and build up before God? And so Jesus is giving us a sense of the massive debt that we owe to God and our complete inability on our own to deal with that debt. And the man foolishly says, I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars. So the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. He's pretty optimistic, isn't he? I mean, he's gotten himself, you know, billions of dollars, not millions, billions of dollars in debt. And now he's saying, I can pay it back. Doesn't sin mess us up? Sin really messes us up, doesn't it? We're kind of like that ourselves, where we we think God can be placated with maybe a check. Well, I've messed up in my life, but write a check out a sizable amount to the church. That's what the mob used to do. Probably still do. You know, kill people all week, but I'll build a piece onto the hospital. There you go. Or I'll, I'll, I'll build a, you know, you know that, that new church that the that they want, wanted to go out, write a big check out. I'm sure that will that, that'll cover between God and myself. This is how people think. And so this is, this is why Jesus, on the one hand, exaggerates the amount from a human perspective, but on the other hand, from a, a, a divine, heavenly perspective, it's not exaggerated at all. So we see the debt that he owes and the ignorance of the man that thinks he can repay it, that he can do it himself. He's gotten himself into this mess. He's just going to be spinning his wheels. He's going to get down farther and farther and farther. Then we see the, 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 the mercy and the patience of the king. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Not only did he not put him in prison with 
he and his family, and that was a common practice in the day. Jesus is not advocating that. He's not promoting that, but that was the practice of the day. But not only is he not going to put him into jail, that, that would have, he would have been quite generous just to do that, right? Not to send the guy off to prison. Let him live the rest of his life out with his family and trying to make whatever living he could. But then he forgives the debt altogether. He doesn't require that of his hand. This reminds us, friends, this is why this is what Jesus is doing. He's not, he's not willing that we should operate simply at a human level, but he's trying to draw us into something deeper and show us the offenses that we've created against God. This is what he's reminding us of here. The king forgives this great debt with a word. All is forgiven. He writes it off. He, he, he accepts the, the, the debt himself. He knows he's not going to get it back. He's just got to pay the price in and of himself. But that's not how God works, is it? He, he discharges the man's debt with a word, but that's not the way it goes with Jesus. That's not how God deals with our sins, because he cannot. God would not be God if he simply lifted up the rug and swept the dirt under the rug or drove it in under the couch and pretended it wasn't there. Even we, from a human point of view, know that, that you can't live like that, can you? You say, uh, yeah, uh, sure, the, the, the floor is, is, is clean, but I know that all that dirt and dust and grime and stuff is under the couch. I can't live like that. And if we can't live like that, how much more? Can God not? God demands that that payment be made. And out of his mercy and compassion, knowing that we cannot do that, knowing we can't pay it, he absorbs the cost in himself at the price of the death of his own son, at the price of his blood. You are redeemed, says Peter, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to speak of the magnitude of God's grace toward us and his love. And this is so in keeping with what the word of God has been saying to us already in our songs that we have sung. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Micah, he says, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. But friends, it sounds very easy, doesn't it? From that Old Testament perspective, it's like God just saying, let's forgive and forget. But no. The same prophets that spoke about God casting our sins as far as the east is from the west, the same Psalms and prophets that said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his strife we are healed. Or by our death, by his death, our debts are discharged. And this was on the mind of Jesus as he was giving this parable. Jesus knew what lay before him. 
Jesus knew that he was key to what this was saying. And so that's what we first have to reckon with, friends, what, what we are before God, the great debt that we owe to him, and the lengths to which he has gone to discharge that debt. But, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And again, I want just to put it into perspective, a hundred denarii was worth about three months' wages. And you might say, well, three months' wages is still a good amount. <laughs> what, compared to billions of dollars? No. Not worth comparison at all. He goes and he finds him, uh, this man that owes him a uh, uh, hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Even the king didn't do that. The king could have said, billions of dollars you owe me and you can't pay me back? He would have been within his rights probably more to start choking the man right there, have lost all control. You know, all my investments you've lost, you're gone. He doesn't even do that. Out of compassion, compassion wells up within the, the heart of the king. He not only lets him go, but he forgives the death. But this man, he begins to choke this other fellow, even after having been forgiven so great a sum. And we say, how is that possible? How could you be so twisted and so wicked? And that's what Jesus calls, uh, the, 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 the king calls the man, you wicked servant. Well, friends, that's what sin does. Sin is inexplicable. Sin makes us do things that are, are just beyond our capacity to understand. And this is what the man does. And what is it what's happening? He is showing that he has really not appreciated what has just been done for him. And he begins to choke him. And, and he has, uh, uh, he says, he, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he's not willing to uh, 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 extend to his servant the same generosity that has been already uh, given to him. Jesus says that this is an evidence that the person has not really understood it, not really grasped it. And again, when we look at our own lives and we feel that there's a sense of bitterness or a sense of a, an unforgiving spirit in our heart when people do things against us, friends, that should raise red flags. Red lights should start going off in our lives because we have not really considered the forgiveness and the love of God which is in Christ when we can harbor such an unforgiving spirit, such a bitter spirit. And these are the plain facts of the story that Jesus is laying out for us. In his love, he is showing us these things so that we might, we might look at ourselves and say, okay, if this is the way I am, what then must I do?
how do I deal with that? How do I deal with that unforgiving spirit? If, if, if God has shown me in his word and by his spirit, this is the way I am, where do I go? I go to the cross. And that's what Jesus is doing for us here. Because the first part of this story, the first part of this parable, is about God's dealings with sinners. We go there. We go and we realize and understand by faith that the great debt that God has forgiven us of. And Jesus has spoken about it in multiple occasions already about eternal fire, the fire that does not die. He spoke clearly and plainly about eternal hellfire, signaling for us that there is a debt that will be paid on our behalf. And that here uh, we must go. This is what God then offers us each and every Sunday, really. This is what this is what the gospel is all about. Every time the gospel is offered to you, God is saying to you, this is your debt. And I am willing this morning to take that debt and tear it up. Oh, there go my notes, but my, my announcements. But I don't care. <laughs> he, he, he says, I'll just tear it up right in front of you. Now, if it were $500, we'd be down at the Royal Bank in line for hours and hours and say, yep, $500 is $500. And we don't realize. $500. We would do that. We would put ourselves out to be forgiven of a certain debt. We'd go to great lengths for 1000 or 10000 so on. Every Lord's Day, God says, here's the bill. Here are your sins. Here is what you've done against me. Here's what you've done in your thoughts and your words and your actions against other people. And I will hold you accountable for them all. But right now, right now, I'm willing to take that and tear it up. If you will but look to the one who 2,000 years ago hung on the cross for debtors like you. where he paid that price with his own precious blood, where he cried out from the cross, it is finished, the bill is paid. And when you come at it from that angle, then you're able to say, I can forgive anybody, anything. And we've heard those stories, haven't we? Of people who who've had someone in their family murdered by someone or attacked or violated. And you, they come and they say, I've seen what I've done to this family and I repent and I'm sorry. And then you see this family coming and forgiving them and putting their arms around them. You say, how do they do it? I couldn't do something like that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. Paul ran the gamut of people who, who tried to murder him on several occasions. Can you imagine being somebody attempting murder on your life on numerous occasions? 
What are you going to do with them? Are you going to forgive them? How do you deal with them? Stoned, left for dead, persecuted by my own countrymen, telling lies about me. Paul had a lot to deal with. But he could say, I have learned to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how we do it. We go and we say, I can do that. I can, I, can, I can deal with this situation because God has forgiven me an enormous debt on the cross. And these small, by comparison, offenses that people have done against me do not compare to what I have done against God multiple times throughout my life on a daily basis. Every day. 490. Well, hang on a minute. I've been on this earth 54 years, and I've probably sinned 490 times every day of, of my life. And, you know, God has a greater debt to forgive me of, in my life than I could ever possibly do for others. But not only are you able to forgive, you delight in that forgiveness. You use it as an opportunity of saying, of course, I'm glad to extend forgiveness to you. And in doing so, you release the other person. You see a spirit of unforgiveness. You just keep that person down. Don't do that. You're bound to forgive. This is, these aren't suggestions that you forgive. You are bound to forgive. You must forgive. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. It's not a question of, should I? It's a question of, I must. But for the person who is filled with the gospel, who is saturated with the love of God in Christ, for them, it not only is a, is a duty, but it's a delight. If someone were to do this, hurt you and so you, you, we, we delight in extending God's forgiveness to that person because then it, 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 it echoes in our hearts that we too are true believers that God may have for a reason brought this hurt into our lives so that we might know maybe you've been praying Lord I, I really want to know that I'm a Christian I really want to know for certain Lord that I'm yours God, maybe in his providence, brings a situation into your life where you are deeply hurt by something. And God says, now what are you going to do with that? I'm not, I'm not talking about it in a cold, clinical kind of way that God does it. But out of his care and love, and then by his grace, you rise to the occasion. You forgive that person because of what Christ has done for you. God says, you're my child. You do know me. You do get it. You do understand it. But the person may react in the other way and say, I will never, ever forgive that person for what they said or did to me. And God might be saying to that person, you're not really a believer. You've asked for confirmation, but you're showing through your response that you don't really get it. And so we are not to despise. And when you come to that place, you don't say, okay, well, forget it, I guess. No, you say, I guess I must go to God. And I must say, Lord, I don't bear that spirit of forgiveness that I should. 
Give that to me. Draw me deeper into the gospel. By the Spirit of God, show me my debt that I owe before you. That I may easily release those around me. So Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to Peter. If that wicked servant had really understood, he would have thrown his arms around that other guy, right? Who came to him with the hundred denarii debt. He would have fallen on his neck and kissed him and rejoiced and thrown a party. <laughs> but no, he begins to choke him and he begins to, because he really doesn't know. He really doesn't understand. And so friends, when we don't think we can operate at that level, we can say as the Apostle Paul, I can do all things, not just by myself, but through Christ, through the cross. That's why he said, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when I get that, I can forgive anybody in my life. And maybe you have not been hurt at that level, but maybe you will. And you've got to prepare. You've got to get ready for that. And say, how am I going to deal if, if what I heard in the news happened to my family or happened to me? What would I do? You've got to get yourself ready for that. And to realize that God is calling you to operate completely different ways. Not once or twice, three times forgiveness. Not seven times. Seventy times seven. And beyond. To the glory of God. To the praise of His name. And I pray that that's how you are wanting to approach these things today. If you are living with that hurt, living with that pain, that you're able to go to the cross, take your burden to the cross. As the old song says, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Let us pray. Lord, as we close this morning,